Welcome to Supply Chain Partners TV and podcast, where we discuss innovative solutions delivered by our members at Supply Chain Partners. Our members can help you to build a high-performing business and supply chain. I'm Dr. Sharon Grant, the founder of Supply Chain Partners. I've worked in the logistics and supply chain management field for over 20 years, and I specialize in strategic supply chain performance management. Let's now introduce our member. With us today is Eric Bush, the Chief Executive Officer of Demand Driven Technologies. Demand Driven Technologies help supply chain leaders boost visibility and power fast, agile business performance with advanced, demand driven supply chain planning solutions. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for joining us today. Great to see you again, Sharon. Today's episode is about the need for a new planning paradigm to build agile supply chains in a VUCA world. VUCA stands for Volatility, Uncertainty, Complexity and Ambiguity. Eric, based on your experience, what are the main challenges that manufacturing companies are facing today when it comes to their supply chain operations? Well, there's quite a few challenges that are out there right now. As we all know, it's probably the most challenging supply chain environment that any of us have ever worked in. I think probably the pronounced aspect that people have been worried about or trying to address has been the constraints within their supply environment. We all know about the constrained supply chain. We've had the blockage at the Long Beach port about a year ago. We've heard stories in the automotive industry of chip shortages. Everywhere you turn, you found shortages. Even when you went to, at the beginning of the pandemic, to buy some more toilet paper, there were shortages. So we've all lived with this very environment. And I think as I look at our clients and the activities that we see, that by far is the most difficult issue that people are trying to deal with. I'd say the next factor that is probably the greatest challenge in all of this is getting a clean signal or cleaner identification of the priorities that we need to be working on in the VUCA condition, you know, this volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity that we're referring to. It is so difficult for us to find what are the right priorities to work on. And I think that that's critical in this environment because when things go into this chaotic mode that we're in, you really don't have the ability to deal with everything. So you have to be very effective in choosing what you're going to focus on, why you're going to focus on it. And you have to accept that you can't do everything, right? So that prioritization becomes a critical piece of this. And so I think those two elements, you know, how do we deal in this constrained environment? And I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through this session. And how do we do that when we don't really have the right visibility to the information that would help us do that job in a better way, if that makes sense? You've identified quite significant challenges for manufacturing companies. So how has the pandemic changed the way we think about resilient and agile planning? And how different is this from conventional planning? I think there's a substantial difference. If we start with this notion that it's all kind of in chaos mode, and we go back and look at the concept of material requirements planning or MRP that everybody knows and either loves or despises, depends on the day of the week, perhaps. It's predicated on a pretty simple formula. And it was ideas that came about back in the early 70s, that if we know what our demand is, then we can backwards schedule. That's what MRTP will do, what we need to buy, what we need to manufacture, what we need to package and distribute to meet that demand. And if you think about it, it's so logical. It makes perfect sense. It time phases everything based on lead times and allows us to synchronize all of that activity in a good way. 
but it's got one critical assumption in there that your demand is known, that your forecast is accurate, which is the antithesis of what we're dealing with today, right? Who saw the pandemic coming? Who was ready for it? And so all of the work in the industry we've done over the last few decades has been trying to get that forecast more accurate, trying to get better tools, consensus planning, all of these things that companies and people have done and tried to innovate on to get a better picture of where we're going, when in reality, we just don't know. We really don't know. So what does that mean to us? Well, it means that we have to be able to respond to a wider range of scenarios than ever before, right? If we can become agile, which means that we can veer left or right or up or down, depending on what's really happening in our market, then we stand a better chance of having success in these very VUCA conditions that we're talking about, right? So I think we have to really start to do kind of that challenge, all those conventional assumptions that are out in our planning tools in the way we think about our problems and maybe take a step back and kind of revisit those and, and maybe challenge, is that really the right way to go? If we had infinite flexibility, if we, now this is a big if, we could respond to whatever came our way. Whatever order the customer had, we'll ship it to you the next day. We know we can't do that because we have lead times to deal with. There's, we can't just do anything. We have to have a focus within our business and things like that. But any steps that we can take in that direction are going to be meaningful to us in terms of improving our performance and actually making it easier to live our life and, and get the job done in a good way. So to me, Agile is about this idea of maybe taking a more cynical look at consensus demand planning and consensus supply planning and activities like that. And instead shifting to let's think out all of the crazy things that might happen to us. And we obviously don't want to go too far off the pitch here on this kind of an idea, but if we could start testing how flexible we are, we might learn some things that we would do differently. For example, we might build more capacity in certain production processes because we know that they're going to have more volatility and it'll allow us to respond more quickly when those peaks come along. And if we can help our finance colleagues understand that that's not a bad thing to have some extra capacity around, then we give ourselves the ability to adapt and change and shift in a better way. And the other thought I have here is that it's easier to be more agile if you have fewer things to do. If I've allowed SKU proliferation to go rampant in my organization, now I have so many more dots to try to configure and align when these VUCA conditions occur. So I think we have to go back and really rethink what is really the right way to go about this. If we put our energy and we can gain some progress about being truly more flexible and agile, more sprint capacity, more flexibility in our production processes, retrain our skilled labor so that they can manage different areas of the plant, right? Do all sorts of things in that direction. I think we put ourselves in a much better place to deal with the conditions that we're seeing and which I think are going to be around for quite some time. That's definitely a shift in thinking and the way organizations now need to approach planning. I'm keen to understand how demand-driven technologies has been able to help your clients with planning to build agile supply chains in a VUCA world. Could you please provide a real-life client example? Absolutely. I think part of that agility message, and I'll tie that into the case study here, an example we'll talk about, is this idea of demand-driven philosophy, borrowed heavily from theory of constraints for those who know the work of Dr. Ellie Goldratt, had the great privilege of working with him when I was with IBM years ago. But one of the key principles there is wait as long as possible before you take an action, meaning the further out into the future we're taking an action, the more likely that action is to change, right? So a way to create less variability is to be able to wait longer, right? So that you know what is the actual demand you need to respond to. The demand-driven method of DDMRP, demand-driven MRP, 
is based on a lot of the theory of constraint principles. It allows us to pace our resupply to the most accurate signal, which we're going to get, which is the real orders or consumption in the market. It's a true pull-based kind of concept. It's not applied to every item in your portfolio. Many situations don't really work well in the DDMRP environment, but really in where the core flow and activity is, that center of gravity in every business, it can do quite a bit of good there. But like any system, it's important that you feed it with the right signal. So let's talk about constrained supply environments. We did a study on this, and I published a white paper, which we'd be happy to share with your audience, about the constrained supply environment and how, if you look at publicly traded manufacturers, some of the biggest, at least in North America, companies like Ford, GM, HP, and other uh, companies like that, their inventory turns you can discern from their financial information that's available on the internet. And it's very interesting. You would think in a supply-constrained environment that we're all talking about, that inventory turnover rates would be accelerating because we don't have any inventory. And so whatever demand is coming in, we're servicing it very well, et cetera. That's not the story, though. In reality, inventory turnover rates have been declining and inventory balances have been increasing. And why is that? Well, it's because the constraints aren't everywhere. They're very typically isolated to a few components within a final assembly. Now, what's so bad about that? Well, the problem is that the planning systems that people are using out there are driving the demand for all of this back order that they can't satisfy because they don't have enough parts and things like that. And it's telling that the unconstrained supply vendors keep giving me more because I've got all this past due demand. Inventory keeps going up, but I can't use that inventory because I'm missing the other pieces, right? So in reality, some few precious parts aren't available for us, but now we're building up inventory, building up inventory. And what you really need in that environment is like a constrained master production schedule. Instead of feeding your system the actual demand, you need to calibrate it down to something that's more achievable. Otherwise, all of those unconstrained materials are going to continue to build up. Your MRP signal will be imbalanced, but you're going to have too much of the wrong inventory at the wrong time. In the white paper, we illustrate how that will continue to build up and that backlog of past due demand starts to force you to extend your lead times. And that's what your suppliers are doing to you. So now go back to that point I made earlier about you've got all these conflicting signals and how do we prioritize? You have to take that demand and run it through a constraint so that you can bring down that level of activity to something you can actually achieve. Maybe you lean into it a little bit so that you don't let something else become your new constraint You know, once you solve this problem. One of the other brilliant things about this strategy though is it focuses your attention on resolving that constraint. It may be outside your organization in the supplier tier. It could be a labor shortage that you haven't solved yet and you don't have the capabilities on the floor. It could be some other factor like that. But the focusing that that allows you to do in this period of chaos where everything's going crazy on you is quite, quite useful. So we're working with clients now and taking this idea, utilizing our software as well, to allow them to get to a better managed position. Bring down that rate of incremental inventory buildup that we are not going to be able to utilize in the short term. Get better control of our constraint. And if it's outside of our organization in the supplier tier, learn to build more collaborative and effective relationships with those folks. And it shows great promise in the ability to really take a very, very difficult situation and get it into a better place where we can manage, stabilize operations, have more predictability in our production schedules and things like that, and live to fight another day. With the awareness, and this is the final point I'll make here, is that 
as long as it's taken these backlogs to build up, it's probably going to take about that long for them to burn down because very few organizations have that much excess capacity that if all of a sudden everything came in, we're going to be able to catch up overnight. So expect this period to be with us and the remnants of it for quite some time. Automotive has got a great case in point. I'm finally starting to see more new cars being available at the dealerships in our local area, but they're a long way from where you would see them pre-pandemic. That's a great example. What would be a key lesson you have learned that could help your future clients to build agile supply chains? I think it's this idea of challenging the assumptions, right? Looking at demand-driven MRP, looking at a different way of going about this. Because the whole premise of MRP where demand is known, our forecasts are accurate, is proving very, very unreliable at this point. And so I think you have to have the ability to question the assumptions that have been at the foundation of how you're working and look for better answers. That probably more than anything kind of trumps all the other ideas that I could vocalize here. It's time to revisit, to rethink things. Uh, We are, me personally, I'm heavily inspired by what the SpaceX company is doing. They went back to the drawing board, challenged the assumptions. Well, what if we could get a rocket to land on its tail and it became reusable? Oh my gosh, how different does that make the cost of space exploration and space? I mean, it's just going back to the drawing board, right? Rethinking things. And I think that's where demand-driven MRP is the concept. The demand-driven concepts can provide a real opportunity for some change. It not only improves the signal that you're using, it gives you a better sense of priorities and other things that are so critical in these difficult conditions to make your management efforts more effective and more useful. That's a great lesson. Now, I understand that demand-driven technologies has launched the world's first demand-driven supply chain solutions to help manufacturing and distribution companies to build more responsive and reliable operations. Could you please explain how demand-driven technologies is established in the supply chain space? Absolutely. We got our start with the idea of using TOC ideas and trying to build solutions that are based on a lot of those ideas. Wait as long as possible before taking an action. Utilize production schedules in the drum buffer rope idea and things like that, that those of you who've read and learned about TOC would understand. But I think the real direction we're heading in and where we're going. So as a DDMRP provider, we have over 130 clients around the world. We are arguably the leader. We were the first to be compliant with that methodology with our software and have continued to evolve and move forward on that front. Where we believe it's leading us is to the category that Gartner calls integrated business planning. And the four foundational elements of that are demand planning or forecasting. There is always going to be a role for forecasting. You just need to be careful about how you use that input. Inventory and material planning, production scheduling and execution, and then SNOP. So those four cornerstones are where we're evolving. We're working on a forecasting platform. We've got some other opportunities that we may be able to execute on to fill out that piece of the puzzle. But our view of the IBP space is the following. In essence, what we feel is that the software that's in the market is trying to solve the complex issues of supply chain and turned around and delivered very complex software. And that is really not what we want technology to do. That in essence, what we need to also do is be able to take that complexity and deliver value to a client in a fashion that is far more reliable, achievable, and accessible. 
And the metaphor I use in this case is always the following, that in essence, you think about the 70s, that's when the Apollo spacecraft were going to the moon and back. That's when MRP was generated. If you look at what the users of those systems kind of feel like many times, and I've shared this with so many of our clients over the years, they kind of feel like the astronaut. They're literally part of the computer, flipping these switches, turning these knobs, adjusting these buttons, right, to get to the, the right result. And they're the best of the best of the best. But the problem is the old certified CPIMs with the gray hair like me and those kind of folks are not there anymore, or they're a dying breed, if you will. And the younger people coming in are, grew up on cell phones and touchpads and all the new technology, and their expectations are dramatically different. And so we have to think about the user story here. It's not about the technology. It shouldn't be about how many ways I can configure this. It should be how well does the software adapt to my environment, give me value, and allow me to focus on all that firefighting that I need to do in the VUCA world by being in more of the mode that a pilot in a commercial airliner is in, where they're rarely flying the plane, right? Takeoff and landing, yeah, but most of the flight, hands-free. The system's doing the job. And why can't we make things like inventory planning more like that? Not maybe for everything, but at least for a good portion of our item portfolio, right? So that's our strategy in a nutshell. We're trying to go into IBP. We're also trying to do it in a way that we think is much more modern. It puts more emphasis on building the technology in a way that the ideal would be if you could self-deploy and get value from it, meaning your inventory turnover rates improve, your production schedules are more reliable. That would be the ideal world that we should be living in. You've been very progressive in the supply chain space. Let's now talk about your Interflow supply chain software solution. Could you please explain how it works and shed some light on the services you offer in the supply chain space in terms of methodology, features, and benefits? Absolutely. So our software features in our functionality, our Intuaflow solution is built on these demand-driven concepts, right? So we can provide material planning benefits. We can provide production scheduling benefits, and we can wrap this in an approach to SNOP that is quite different than the conventions that are out there in the market. The whole idea, again, is let's use the most accurate signals. Let's be more responsive. And so our material planning software allows you to pace your inventory to the actual demands in the market. And it does so without relying heavily on a forecast. You may use a forecast to size your stock positions, but your resupply orders are going to be driven by the actual consumption in the market. That goes right from your end items down to the intermediates and raw materials. The production scheduling is there to ensure that you're getting the best leverage of your production capacity while also helping you configure that flexibility, that ability to catch up if things go bad or the ability to change and pivot and respond in a better way. And then on the SNOP front, this is where I think the big difference is. It's about testing the parameters. Instead of trying to get a consensus demand plan lined up with a consensus supply plan, why don't we test three different scenarios and see where the system breaks down, where we run into stockouts, where we run into shortages, where we exceed the production capacity of a given location. And let's plan and then how can we build more flexibility into that model? It's not about using the forecast to commit orders well out into the future. It's about using a range of forecasts to test the effectiveness of our model to be able to work in these different conditions that we're expecting. By doing that, we will make very different decisions. And those are the important things that we need to do. So the solutions are really built to give you a better way to manage, to get to that place where you can take your hands off the wheel, that knowing that your system is going to run in a stable, effective environment, you'll have the right amount of inventory. You'll get better inventory turnover rates, and you'll also improve your service levels to the market. 
This is a bit of a mind-numbing fact to me, that what I'm going to tell you right now. We've looked at the U.S. Federal Reserve statistics on production industry and things like that. Today, U.S. manufacturers are turning inventory at the same rate that they were 25 years ago. Now, just think about what that represents. 25 years ago, what was going on? People were running away from legacy systems, islands of automation. The legacy maintenance was a huge financial burden from an IT cost standpoint. Islands of automation and Y2K, all of these things were happening. What happened was the ERP vendors came along. It's all in one database. We're going to maintain it for you. You can figure it to fit your needs, right? Well, then why is it that we didn't see better KPIs occur? Why are inventory turnover rates at the same place? And it's because they're all still using the same material requirements planning logic as the foundation of how you do your supply chain planning. That's where the big difference should be. We should be able to see tangible and sustainable results. We should be able to deliver value to the client. We go through a process with each and every client we meet with to do simulations for them. Give us your demand history. Give us your part information. We'll show you what's going to happen in advance of it happening. What will happen when we do those simulation reviews is we learn some interesting things. What happened with this part? Why did it behave this way? Oh, that was on recall or, or something else was going on. And, you know, the stories that emerge from that really help us understand their business in far more detail than any other way we could get there. And they're learning how the method works, where it works well, where it doesn't work well. And we've got the tools to address those other kind of use cases. So, you know, let's get to where we can see tangible and sustainable improvements. Let's do that by adopting these better signals, better ways of prioritizing, and give ourselves a fighting chance to get through these VUCA conditions. I think there's so much opportunity to rethink, you know, all of the old standards, the ways of working, revisit them, understand where our constraints are, and do a much better job at giving our users a chance to have, you know, a fair way of working and getting the right things done for us as an organization. That's a very comprehensive service offering. So what's next for demand-driven technologies? We're so excited about where we think we can take these ideas. I bet you have Shazam on your phone. Uh, you hear a song in a restaurant. You're trying to remember who the artist was. You click that little button. It takes a audio signal, sound waves out of the air, no matter what part of the song is playing. And literally, in most cases, within a few seconds, it responds to this artist, this album, voila, right? Well, think about that. That is amazing how they can digitize an analog signal match it up with a library and give you the result that quickly. You know, it's interesting because in supply chain, we think about statistics, coefficients of variation, and all these other ways and techniques that people have had over the years to try to come up with better safety stock values and the like. But when you look at the demand pulses of a client's activity of a given item, you know, how that item is consumed in the market, it has kind of a fingerprint or a, a waveform. It kind of looks kind of like some kind of a wave. And what we have found is that with our AI and uh, machine learning work that we're doing is that it's not really about statistics. It's not about coefficient of variation because items with the exact same COV value will behave very differently. And you can just see it when you look at the graphs of their demand patterns, right? And so a couple of years ago, we started down this path of really trying to understand, would we be able to Shazam our settings, right? Because if we can understand and recognize where those differences are, we can start to do things that are pretty darn useful and do it in a way that the user doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, it's a black box that's going to tell me what to do. It's no, it's going to be done in a visual way. And so we are just rolling out our first wave of machine learning based kind of capabilities in the software. There are so many more avenues with this that we can go into. All sorts of factors like which items to stock, which items not to stock. 
it's not as simple of a problem as many would think. And actually, if we can bring technology to bear on that, we can take a very complex topic and make it much more understandable and relatable for people and help clients make better decisions in that regard. So all of it is, at the end of the day, trying to put the user in the dragon capsule where, you know, SpaceX sent four civilians to outer space with limited training for three days on an automated journey with an iPad and a very cool looking spacesuit, right? Now, we may not be able to provide the spacesuits for the users, but I think we can get to a much, much better place in terms of the delivery of technology to solve the problem. It's not technology for technology's sake. We shouldn't be celebrating that we've got more configuration options than anybody else in the world. We should be celebrating when we can get a user on board in the least amount of time with the highest degree of results, right? Let's make that you know inventory turn line, instead of being flat as a pancake, start moving in the right direction and be sustainable. There's so much inventory out there. If you think about it, there's a trillion dollars of inventory in the U.S. manufacturers. Even if we only make a 10% improvement on that, that would free up $100 billion of working capital. And what could companies do with that? Let your mind wander, I mean, but it's going to be some good stuff. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Eric, for joining us today from Demand Driven Technologies. Thanks, Sharon. It's been a joy to talk to you again. It's been several years since we last spoke, so great to see you again. Hope this was informative and of interest and use for your audience. And uh, we'd love to help you with your demand-driven journey. Excellent. Thanks, Eric. Well, that concludes today's episode about the need for a new planning paradigm to build agile supply chains in a VUCA world with demand-driven technologies. Their contact details are provided below. So join us again at Supply Chain Partners TV and Podcast, where we meet with our expert members at Supply Chain Partners to discuss key business and supply chain issues, topics and trends, including logistics, supply chain management, technology and much more. We welcome you to subscribe to this Supply Chain Partners channel and we look forward to you joining us again in a future episode. 